right. So we are in the book of Ruth today, and I'm excited about this. This is, uh, I've been listening to Ruth um, in an audio biteable format, like the whole book every day kind of this week. I listened to it again as I was kind of finalizing and, and kind of digging into some things for, for the sermon, and it's just, I don't know, there's so much there's layers. It's kind of like an onion. And as we go through it, I hope we unpeel this onion and we get these, these great layers of what's happening in God's Word through the book of Ruth. And I'm really excited about it. So if you've got your Bible with you, go ahead and open up to Ruth chapter 1. It's right after the book of Judges. We're going to read chapter 1, but our sermon today is, is going to be kind of a, an introductory to the whole book. So if you've got it with you, go ahead and open up and let's hear the Word of the Lord. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. And a man of Bethlehem and Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife with his two sons. <clears throat> the, man of the, name, the man of the name was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Malon and Chilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem and Judah, and they went into the country of Moab and remained there. But Elimelech the husband of Naomi died, and she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives. Uh, the name of one was Orpah, and the name of the other Ruth. And they lived there about ten years, and both Malon and Chilion died, so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. So she set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law, and they went on the, on the way to return to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her daughters-in-law, Go and return each of you to, your, to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you, in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, No, we will, we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that, you may, that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night and should bear sons, would you therefore wait till they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. And they lifted up their voices and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. Then she said, See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where I go, for where you go, I will go. For where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord do so with me, do so to me, and more also. If anything, but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said, No more. So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women said, Is this Naomi? 
She said to them, do not call me Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me, and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, with her, who returned from the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. Let's pray. Father, I ask that as we enter into this time of worshiping you through your word and the hearing of your word and the, and the response to your word, that you would just continue to speak to our hearts through it, that you would open up to us, that you would give us an excitement about being in your word. Father, I pray that as we go through this and we, we go through this study in the book of Ruth, and that you would show us truths of your sovereignty, of your providence, and, and just reveal to us your love for your people and your loyalty to them as well. Father, I pray that as we, we enter into this time that, that we, we, we honor you, we glorify you, that we make your name known well. Father, I ask that you would just put me aside and let this be your words proclaimed today. We thank you for who you are. We thank you for giving us your word to know you better. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So, here's Ruth. And like Leah said, it starts out kind of a, a sad story, right? Just this kind of bitter, ugh, three women, all of them widowed, two of them foreigners. They don't know what to do. And so here we have this, this story of sadness starting out. But most of us know this story. It's kind of a, a common story we've talked about. We, we, we know this, and we see that it's just one of many different genres of literature within the Bible. And there's a lot of them. We see poetry in the Scripture. We see Proverbs in the Scripture. We've just finished Ephesians. We've seen letters in the Scripture. We see histories. But there's interesting thoughts on this, that, that there's romance in Scripture. I think we forget that there's sometimes romance. Now, Song of Solomon is clearly romance. Um, we, we see that, that, that that would be a book that we would consider a romantic book. It's a, it's a book about the romantic relationship and the, and the letters and poems exchanged between the lovers. And it's, it's kind of a spicy book a little bit when you read through Song of Solomon, right? It'd probably be PG-13 by today's standards, but, but still, there's not a part of Scripture that in Song of Solomon that's not without its own controversies. But then we also get to the book of Ruth, and it's got this romantic kind of tale in it. Right? It's a history of real people that can be traced with gene Jewish genealogies, but it's, it's almost like reading this story about how your grandparents met, this, this kind of courtship story. There's, there's a tenderness to it. There's a sweetness to the story of Ruth that's missing from a lot of the other love stories that we see in Scripture. You know, when we think about it, this one doesn't have a lot of scandal as we look through the book of Ruth. But many, many of the documented love stories of biblical heroes are uh, fraught with scandal, just, just oozing with it. We think about Abraham and Sarah, right? Twice Abraham calls Sarah his sister, and then she is given to other men. Sarah, in her own right, creates a little bit of scandal, not believing God when, when she said that he would, when, when God told her she would conceive a child, she gives Hagar to Abraham to go conceive that child. 
And then if you think about, as you kind of look through Genesis, the, the bizarre love pentagon between Jacob and Rachel and Leah and Leah's servant Zilpah and Rachel's servant Bilhah, right? There's this weird, what is that? And then we get into the King David and his love life. And it was a hot mess, right? He had Uriah murdered to cover up his sexual encounter that he had with Bathsheba. And then Solomon, David's son, 700 wives, 300 concubines. If we read through the book of Judges, we see the story of, of Samson and Delilah. That's, a, that's another messy, scandalous love story that's in Scripture. And these are just a few of the scandalous stories that we see in Scripture. But in the story of Ruth, there's no real scandal here. It, it, it's just about this faithful young widow serving her mother-in-law and a faithful man that Ruth marries and has a family with. It's just kind of a nice story. But reading this book in just that way is a complete disservice to the story and its importance within the whole of Scripture. Don't read it just that way. If you only read Ruth as this idyllic story of a wealthy farmer who falls for a young widow who has moved to town, you're going to miss so much. See, I, I want to introduce us as Ruth as a character in God's plan, and, and, and Ruth is this character in Scripture. And I want us to look at the, the when, the where, the who, the why, and the why of this book of Ruth today. I want us to think about those things, like, like in asking these questions, and then in answering these questions, I think we're going to see the importance of the Ruth and Boaz story, the, the, how important it is within Scripture, and why the story stands out specifically during the time in which it was recorded and the time in which the people lived. So let's looking at the when. Right? In the days when the judges ruled, from verse 1 we see, tells us when. Now, the days when the judges ruled, this is kind of interesting. This could be any time between uh, the Lord and Israel's conquest of the promised land and about 1050 B.C. It's kind of when the action takes place, right? Um, Ruth was probably, as a book, written after the action took place. Probably a little bit closer to, to 1010 B.C. is when it was written, but probably no later than that. But the dates here don't tell us really a lot about the time or the when of the story. As much as we see the phrase, when the judges ruled, or in the days when the judges ruled, that phrase tells us so much about the time in which Ruth was taking place. See, the time when the judges ruled is recorded in the book of Judges. And it's this time between when Joshua, Moses' assistant in the Exodus, dying, it's when Joshua dies, and then it's between when King Saul has been anointed by Samuel and takes the throne. This, that's the time period in which the judges ruled. And the thing is, is this was an incredibly wild time in the history of ancient Israel. Chris and I are going to preach through the book of Judges after we preach through the book of Ruth, so we can kind of see a comparison of, of, of the wholesomeness and the godliness that we see in, in Ruth and Naomi and Boaz compared to what was happening in the rest of Israel. In the book of Judges, we learn that there's this Jephthah guy, and, and he's foolhardy. And, and he makes a foolhardy vow that costs him the life of his own daughter. 
We see the life of Samson, a man who is dedicated to the service of God from birth, allow his own passions and his own lust dictates how he lives rather than heed the word of the Lord. In the book of Judges, there's a story about a Levite who has a concubine. We'll not even get into the fact that how wrong that is in and of itself. But this Levite has a concubine and he gives her over to be sexually assaulted by a gang intentionally. And then she's not only sexually assaulted, she's murdered by that gang. And his response to that is to then cut up her corpse and have the parts of that corpse delivered out to the 12 tribes of Israel, asking others to help avenge her death. This is the world in which the story of Ruth takes place. This is the Israel in which this story is taking place. In the time in which the judges ruled is ancient Israel's equivalent to the American Wild West. Lawlessness abides. Judges 17.6 and 21.25 both say this. And they both adequately sum up the time period in which the judges ruled in Israel. There was no king in Israel, and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. For a people who were supposed to have Yahweh God as their king at this time, they had learned to renounce him quickly. And they did what was right in their own eyes. So Ruth and Naomi and Boaz were living in a time where, where lawlessness and unfaithfulness to the Lord reigned. But they were people of faith who see, who we see God honors their faithfulness to Him in spectacular ways. So where? Where does this take place? Well, the story takes place in a small town of pretty big importance to us, biblically, Right? It happens primarily in Bethlehem or just in the fields around Bethlehem. This is where Elimelech and Naomi were originally from. Elimelech moved the family from Bethlehem to Moab, a foreign country, during a famine to help provide for his family. But unfortunately, Elimelech dies in Moab. His sons Malon and, and Kilion take Moab, Moabite wives. Now this is interesting, again, alluding back to the lawlessness that is what's happening within the time of Israel. Malon and Kilion taking Moabite wives. This was something forbidden by God. Moabite women were known well in Scripture to corrupt the Israelite men into following false gods. But yet, Malon and Kilion take Moabite wives. Could this be why they died? We don't know, but they do. So both Malon and Kilion die in Moab, leaving Naomi a widow with absolutely no support. You've got to remember that, that in this time, when a woman was widowed, it was the responsibility of the sons to care for her. Right? There, there wasn't Social Security. There wasn't widow's pensions programs. There, there wasn't, it was the responsibility of the sons. And if she had no sons to care for her or no grandsons to care for her, she was kind of destitute. And this is where Naomi finds herself. Malon and Kilion die in Moab, leaving her a widow with no support. And then Ruth and Orpah, young widows themselves. So then who is this Ruth? Who is this woman? 
She's a Moabite woman, and now she's the widowed wife of Malon. And it's interesting in Scripture here, this is, this is the Word of God, and I find it really interesting that, that Scripture has for its lead character in this story a woman from a people that God has forbidden the Israelites to intermarry with. Right? She, she's not supposed to be here in some regard. That's not, how did she wind up here, right? There must be something special about Ruth. There's going to be something special, unique about her. We see that Ruth is this fiercely loyal and fiercely devoted young lady. We don't know how old she is when she is widowed, but she could be as young as her early to mid-20s when Malon dies. We know that she's young enough to, to remarry, right? Uh, as she says, it, it was Naomi is talking to her, Have I yet sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters, in verse 12. Go your way, for I am too old to have a husband, and if I should say I have hope, even if I should have a husband and should bear sons, would, would you therefore wait until they were grown? Would you then therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter for me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. That Naomi herself is worried about Ruth and Orpah's youngness in being widowed that they are still of marriageable age, they are still of childbearing age, and she's worried about them not being able to have families of their own if, she, if, if they stay with her. We know that she's at least that young, right? That, that she's young enough that, that Naomi encourages her to return home and remarry so that she can have that family of her own. Yet Ruth here is being a devoted young woman, does not do that at all. She's compelled by the Holy Spirit to stay with Naomi. And not only is she compelled to stay with Naomi, she is compelled to deny her family back home and to deny her gods. When Ruth says, do not urge me to leave you or to return, to, from, to return from following you, for where you will go, I will go, and where you will lodge, I will lodge. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. She's renouncing all that was before that. Renouncing her parents, renouncing her siblings, renouncing her home country, renouncing her God. She's renounced all of these things. But she's done more than just renouncing things. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. Ruth has had a conversion moment right here. She has converted to Yahweh worship. She has chosen Yahweh over the paganism that surrounds her, and even the paganism that they're going to see when they return to Israel. In her time with Naomi, however much time it was, the Lord God Almighty has touched the life of Ruth and He has drawn her to Himself for His name's sake. And we see that in her. Now, let's take a moment here to kind of understand the advice that, that Naomi has given Ruth and Orpah. Because it is sensible advice. If these are young women who are of marrying age, who are of childbearing age, it makes sense within this culture 
to send them back home to go out and find new husbands, right? Naomi is a widow. She has no sons. She has no one to care for her. She's genuinely at the mercy of Elimelech's cousins when she moves back to Israel. Y'all, I got some cousins and I love them. I don't know that I would want Leah to be at their mercy. I'm just saying. I, they would treat her well, they would treat her fairly, but they would not treat her the way I want my wife to be treated. And I think Naomi's thinking the same thing of her daughters-in-law. These cousins are not going to disown me. They're not going to leave me horribly destitute or, or horribly in bad shape, but they're not going to treat me the way my husband would treat me, and they're not going to treat my daughters-in-law the way my sons would treat my daughters-in-law. It is not just or fair to my daughters-in-law. I do not want that for them. She does not want that fate for Ruth and for Orpah. And there's true heartache here. They, they say they wail and they cry. They lift up their voices and wept in verse 9. Right? And there's sadness there. And there's sadness when Orpah leaves Naomi. But, but understand, she's not a figure to be seen as doing a bad thing here. When Orpah leaves, that's not horrible. She's doing the sensible thing under the circumstances. Ruth, on the other hand, and this is how our God works. right? We see God working in this. Ruth, on the other hand, is doing something completely illogical. Something completely not sensible. She has seen in Naomi something about the Lord where she trusts Naomi's following of the Lord enough to follow Yahweh as well. She places her faith in him to support both of these widows here. I love this. Listen, listen again to what she says. When Ruth was talking to Naomi, she says, Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. There's echoes there. Do you hear the echoes? Do you hear the echoes of the covenant promise that God has made to his people? He, he says, he says to, to Abram, and he says to the people of Israel in Genesis 17, in Exodus 6, and in Deuteronomy 29, he says, I will be your God, and you shall be my people. Do you hear that Ruth's echoing that? This is who Ruth is. She is this young foreign woman who has placed her faith in the God of all the universe. She is devoted. She is faithful. And she is upstanding. As we read through this book more and we dive into it deeper, I want us to see those things. But I also want us to see some lessons. So what are some of the lessons that we can learn from the book of Ruth? While we study the book of Ruth, we're going to see how God's people experience his sovereignty. We're going to see how God's people experience his wisdom. We're going to see how God's people experience his covenant kindness. And what we're going to see is that many times God's sovereignty, God's wisdom, and God's kindness are sometimes disguised as hard times. We're also going to see that God's sovereignty, God's wisdom, and God's kindness are then mediated to us through others that God places in our lives. That he's going to use our circumstances 
for his will and for our benefit. And he's going to use those that, that we've surrounded ourselves with in Christ to show us some of that. Kindness is a major theme throughout the story of Ruth. We see Ruth showing Naomi kindness. We see it specifically in her leaving everything in her home country behind to stay with Naomi and to care for her. We see her love toward Naomi carried out in a, in a very practical manner. We see Boaz coming up later in the book showing kindness to Ruth. He welcomes her to glean in his fields. He tells her to stay with the young women who work in his fields. He tells his men to watch over her and not to send her away. Boaz shows great kindness to Ruth and Naomi by acting as a kinsman redeemer for Ruth and marrying her later in the story. And this is a neat thing that we see in this book, that, is that human kindness can reflect the kindness or the, or the steadfast love that the Lord shows for His people. Here's the problem, though. And we were talking about this a little bit in, in our Bible study time this morning. In Sunday school, they always seem to stop right there and say that Ruth was a story about kindness and friendship. Y'all remember that in Sunday school? Be a good friend like Ruth was to Naomi. Not bad advice, but there's so much more. If you stop there again, you're going to miss so much. See, Ruth is also a story about redemption. The redemption in this story is tied very closely to the kindness, but do not miss the redemption story here. This is a little four-chapter book, right? It takes about 14 minutes to read it through all the way. That's about it, give or take. And in that time, the word redeem, redeemer, or redemption appear 23 times in this book. And there's two different types of legal redemption that Ruth describes as a book. One is the redemption of property, and the other is the principle of leveret marriage. And we're going we're gonna to talk about both of those a little bit more uh, in depth as we go on. But, but property redemption is the assurance that, that property does not leave the family. Right? The modern equivalence of this might be the, the stories we read when, it, when a farmer dies unexpectedly and, and the bank forecloses on the farm and all the far, local farmers go in together and they buy the place back at the bank auction and then they give it back to that farmer's widow or they give it back to that farmer's sons. That's kind of a, a property redemption. We see that story taking place. There's a modern equivalence to that. Leverett marriage is when a childless widow marries her husband's brother to provide an heir for the deceased husband. We do not have a modern equivalence of that. And all the wives in the room just breathe a sigh of relief, right? Like that's a, that's a really weird kind of situation. It's a cultural practice of, of the ancient Near East. We'll talk more about that. But when we see Ruth being redeemed by Boaz, we see her and Naomi's lives change drastically for the good. Ruth is, is blessed in marriage and then having Obed. Uh, later on, we'll, we'll learn about Obed. Naomi is blessed by, by having a healthy old age. But the redemption we see with Ruth and Boaz and, and Boaz and Ruth is, is a reflection of the redemption we see with Christ and his bride, the church. Don't miss that. It's all there. So we're seeing all these 
the whens, the wheres, the, the, the who, the what, why. Why is it important for us, a modern New Testament church that believes in the New Testament, that believes that, why is it important for us to study Ruth, an Old Testament book? I'd like you to open up your Bible to Matthew chapter 1. Let's just kind of look at this. We're going to read verses 1 through 17 here. The genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram, and Ram the father of Amminadab, and Amminadab the father of Nashon, and Nashon the father of Salmon, and Salmon the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of David the king. And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah, and Solomon the father of Rehoboam, and Rehoboam the father of Abijah, and Abijah the father of Asaph, and Asaph the father of Jehoshaphat, and Jehoshaphat the father of Joram, and Joram the father of Uzziah, and Uzziah the father of Jothan, and Jothan the father of Ahaz, and Ahaz the father of Hezekiah, and Hezekiah the father of Manasseh, and Manasseh the father of Amos, and Amos the father of Josiah, and Josiah the father of Jeconiah, and his brothers at the time of the deportation to Babylon. And after the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel, Shealtiel the father of Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel the father of Abiud, and Abiud the father of Eliakim, Eliakim the father of Azor, Azor the father of Zadok, Zadok the father of Akim, Akim the father of Eluid, Eluid the father of Eleazar, Eleazar the father of Mathan, Mathan the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations, and from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations, and from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ, 14 generations. Jesus, our Lord and Savior, is a direct descendant of Ruth and Boaz. Ruth plays an important role in the history of God saving for himself a people through Jesus Christ. Here she is. She is a foreign woman in the ancestry of Jesus. And what's beautiful about that is that she's a forerunner of the universal blessing that is Christ's redemptive work. She shows a fulfillment even, even in this time of the judgment, she shows a fulfillment of God's promise to Abraham that I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse and in you all the families, some translations say all the nations, all the tribes, all the peoples of the earth shall be blessed. There are many, many, many Old Testament prophecies that anticipate the kingdom of God fully incorporating Gentiles among those who are Yahweh worshipers. 
we see this fulfilled in Jesus Christ. The gospel message God gave Abraham in verse 12, or in Genesis chapter 12, verse 3, that all the families of the earth will be blessed, that all the nations of the earth will be blessed, is fully realized in Jesus. In Jesus, we see David's throne established forever. In Jesus, redeemed people of every nation, every tribe, every language, all of these people are no longer strangers, but become full citizens with full rights and full responsibilities in the kingdom of God. Not only are they citizens within the kingdom of God, then they are adopted as sons and heirs into the household of God. The story of Ruth plays a direct role in all of that. And all of that, her faithfulness to Naomi and her faithfulness to Naomi's God, Yahweh, is a direct link to the work of Jesus Christ today. And as we study Ruth as a body of believers, I'm going to encourage you to, to read the story at least weekly. Take some time. If you've got an audio Bible and you've got a little drive, listen to it. That's okay. I love my audio Bible for that. It's one of my favorite things. Listen to it. It takes about 14 minutes or so to read through the entire book of Ruth. Read through it weekly. And as you read through Ruth, don't just read through it to hear the story, right? Read through it to look for the themes of kindness. Look for those themes of steadfast love. Look for that thread of redemption throughout the story. And then as you read through Ruth, look for those New Testament connections. See how God weaves salvation of people throughout the history of the world. See how he's using this one family to do something extraordinary for all the families of the world. And then I would encourage you to share the story of Ruth with others. Invite some friends to join us for worship and, to, and join us for study through this book. Tell people your own story of redemption so they may see how God loves and brings about a people for himself. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you. I thank you that we can be excited about an Old Testament story that that if we just glance at it, we don't see all that there is. But I'm excited, Lord, that your Holy Spirit dwells in us and will illumine us to so much more as we go through this. I'm encouraged, Lord, that, that we can look at this story and just see you acting in it. You're not mentioned much here. The narrator never mentions you in the story. But your finger is all over it. Father, remind us that when we read Scripture, we're not just reading words on a page, but we're reading how your finger is involved in the lives of all of us, how, how you're there. We thank you, God, for this time we've had to, to look into this and to be introduced to Ruth as, as a story in Scripture and the importance that, that it carries. I pray, Lord, that you would continue to speak to our hearts through your word, that you would have us continue to dig deep, challenge us to seek you even in the Old Testament and see how Jesus' presence is real in there. 
encourage us to proclaim the redemption that we have received from Christ to others, inviting them to experience that as well. It's in Jesus' name I pray.